Hello, and welcome to Fanifesto, a podcast for fans, by fans, about fandom. I'm Hobart Church. I'm Megan Church. I'm Tyler Martin. And we got That's right, today's topic is none other than Mystery Science Theater 3000, one of television's most treasured cult hits. So settle in, sit tight, and watch out for snakes! For those not familiar, MST3K follows a hapless human test subject trapped on a satellite by mad scientists who subject him to cruel experimentation in the form of cheesy B-movies. Our host is accompanied by wise-cracking robot companions, and together they endure the agony of each week's experiment by mocking the film relentlessly as they appear in silhouette form in a movie theater, periodically breaking for a colorful sketch. Since its inception in the late 1980s, this beloved program has captured countless hearts the world over. MSTs, Misties, as fans of the show are known, form one of the most unique and devoted fan bases in existence. Now to get things rolling, we'd like to present our spring pageant, a brief history of MST3K. Our story begins in the early 1980s with an up-and-coming young comedian from rural Wisconsin by the name of Joel Hodgson. Having long fostered a love for magic and ventriloquism, Hodgson went to Los Angeles to break into the comedy scene with a unique act that combined elements of both. He quickly became quite the sensation, making many high-profile friends and notable television appearances. However, under pressure from the powers that be to sell out and discouraged by the creatively stifling atmosphere of Hollywood, Hodgson eventually relocated to Minnesota. There, he met Jim Mallon, production manager for Channel 23 KTMA, a small public access TV station in the Twin Cities, and one of Mallon's employees, Kevin Murphy. Hodgson pitched a novel idea for a show which involved characters seen as silhouettes mocking cheesy movies. The production went ahead with Hodgson appearing as Joel, an affable janitor shot into space by his sadistic mad scientist bosses, joined by puppet characters he had created himself and brought to life by local comedians Josh Weinstein and Trace Beaulieu. Thus, Mystery Science Theater 3000 was born. The show was a success, gaining a very strong response from KTMA viewers. In order to keep things running, Hodgson and Mallon became co-equal partners and along with a gifted and enthusiastic crop of Midwestern comedic talent, formed Best Brains Productions. With a premise so quirky and a creative team so capable, it wouldn't be long until MST3K hit the big time. And hit the big time it did. Higher powers came calling and on November 18th, 1989, Mystery Science Theater 3000 appeared on the Comedy Channel, later known as Comedy Central. Wary of the oppressive corporate influence that had sent Hodgson packing from Hollywood, the brains defied the networks urging to produce the show in New York, insisting that production remain in Minnesota. So in Minnesota the show stayed, where such shining regional wits as Mike Nelson, Frank Conniff, Mary Jo Peel, Bridget Jones, Bill Corbett, and others came to join the show as writers and performers. MST quickly flourished and became one of the Comedy Channel's hottest properties. In the early 1990s, with home internet in its infancy, mystery science enthusiasts comprised one of the first fan bases to gather online in a major way. But fun though the creative process of this program undeniably was, differences between the staff did make things difficult at times and would occasionally necessitate changes in cast. The most radical of these occurred in 1993 when long-simmering personal and creative differences between Joel Hodgson and Jim Mallon resulted in Hodges leaving the show altogether, at which point head writer and frequent co-star Mike Nelson stepped in as the show's host. 
But MST lived on, surviving numerous personnel changes and a tumultuous move to the Sci-Fi Channel. Ultimately, in 1999, Mystery Science Theater 3000 was canceled after 11 years of raucous movie mocking. The intervening years saw continued fan activity, and the cast and crew would go on to create variations of the unique comedic format they had so successfully pioneered. Mike Nelson, Kevin Murphy, and Bill Corbett formed Rift Tracks, which is still going strong today. Joel Hodgson and others spent several years on a similar project called Cinematic Titanic. Then, in 2016, Joel Hodgson boldly proposed a return of the show itself and called on fans to support the project via Kickstarter. That campaign proved to be a smashing success, and Mystery Science Theater 3000 is now appearing in its 11th season on Netflix. Boasting a vibrant new cast and crew, this updated incarnation of the classic program hits all the right notes. Remaining true to the tone and format of the original while seamlessly incorporating newer elements to create a delightfully fresh yet familiar viewing experience. Alright, great pageant guys. Did we all have fun? I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you what was also fun was that time that we met Joel. It was. Um, we ran into Joel. Well, not ran into. We, we approached him at a booth. We knew he was there. Yeah. It was one of the main reasons we went to this yeah. particular convention. To creep on Joel. Yep. And he was a lovely fellow. It was super chill, down to earth, willing to sign whatever name was given him. That's right. Um, if you've ever seen Space Mutiny, uh, the main protagonist in that movie is given some ridiculous names like Punch Side Iron, Slap Squat Thrust. And so I came up with my own variation of those, which is Chip Hardbody. And I requested that Joel sign the photo that we bought uh, to Chip Hardbody. And I was a little upset about that because he had already written mine and Megan's real names. <laughs> I don't have a nickname. He had no choice but to use my name, but I got to hold Tom Servo. That was nice. Yeah, that was. I I laid hands upon Tom. Very cool experience. Yep. So we all met Joel um, at at the convention, and uh, one of the reasons that we wanted to meet Joel was because we are all, as you may have guessed. Very big fans of Mystery Science Theater 3000. We're a gaggle of Misties. We are. And uh, we're just going to talk a little bit about how we all got into the show. Um, Tyler, what yes. was your first ever Mystery Science Theater 3000 viewing experience? Now, I don't remember what episode it was, I'm sorry to say. But it happened like a lot of things that I'm into. I woke up one morning... And went into the living room, and my dad was watching this thing on TV. <laughs> I was like, what's up with this? And we ended up watching it. And it, it was it was the little silhouettes sitting in a theater, mocking some cheesy movie, and I thought it was hysterical. And How old were you? I was 10, 11, somewhere around there. So it was, it was toward the end of the series. Yeah. Uh, late Mike era. You know, I, I did not even know that there was a Joel until years later but right. uh, for a long time that those last couple of seasons were all that I knew of the show and I wasn't aware that it had gone on as long as it had uh, so that was all that I was familiar with 
but yeah, I've I've been a devoted a Misty. devoted Misty since age eleven at the latest, I think. My introduction to the the series was very casual at first. Um, I remember when my family finally got satellite TV. Uh. Oh my word, that was a happy day. And we had it for a while, and Tyler and I actually used to watch movies together <laughs> over the phone. Yep. We had we would each have a phone, and we would be sitting on on our respective couches. Oh my god! I have specific memories from. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Young Frankenstein. Yes. Was a very as a very fond memory. Mm-hmm. So, um, we we were not doing this at at the time that I discovered Mystery Science Theater, but. Uh, I was just flipping through the channels, and I remember seeing uh, just a snippet of an episode, and it was just the silhouettes, and it was a terrible movie. I have I do not remember what the movie was, uh, same as you, but they were making jokes, and I I thought it was funny, but I have this thing where I can't start watching something in the middle of it, mm-hmm. so. I was like, well, it'll be on later. And it was a couple of years after that point before I came over to your house (laughs) and we watched an episode together. It was The Horrors of Spider Island. It was. I'm Bob Boxbutt. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, what a terrible movie. But so much fun. Yes. Um, Yeah, it was The Horrors of Spider Island. And ever since then... I've I've been a fan. Um, you know, we've gone back and and watched from season one, and as much as we could find on Netflix when they had for a while, Netflix had. Did they have the entire series? Uh, no, it was no. just it was certain close, ones. Though. They had quite a few, and Hulu yeah. did too. Yeah. Between and those two and YouTube, you would find the majority of the series. Right. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Netflix. <laughs> Um, so that was my that was how I got introduced to it was randomly by happenstance and then through you, which is a fair bit of my fandom life story. Random well, randomness and then Tyler. <laughs> I'm proud to be a part of that. What about you, Megan? Oh, the only reason I know what this is at all is because of you too. It's all your fault. You're now I'm up. trying to remember. I know that the I know that the show it wasn't the show though it was the movie mm-hmm. is the thing that introduced me and i remember that we watched it at tyler's house what i don't remember is were we married hobert you and i at the time yet i'm trying to remember if if we were still engaged or if we had i'm not sure if we were married at the time but we, I, I don't think so but i did get a proper dousing those those couple years though because we were live when we first started out we were living in Kentucky which means we were a stone throw away from Tyler and we spent a lot of time yeah mm-hmm. getting me, a lot of getting nights. me well and truly introduced and then <laughs> those few years later when Tyler realized that they had done Godzilla movies and we came flocking over and it was just one right after the other they only did two one right after well, the other yeah. <laughs> you can still use that okay. phrase when referring to the number two. It works. 
and by then it by then it was all over but the horrible thing for me is that for some reason like i i guess it's kind of a blessing and a curse mst3k makes me sleepy <laughs> sometimes if the movie's really really bad regardless of how good the commentary is i will fall asleep and that means i miss whole chunks of the of the episode which is bad except that it's good because that means that i have to go back and rewatch it at some point <laughs> now i remember what when you watch that first uh the movie with us, uh, the movie, uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie, they riff a classic sci-fi pick, uh, This Island Earth, which is actually a pretty decent movie, all things considered. But when it started up, I remember, Megan, you you liked the opening sketches, you thought those were cute, and then they go into the theater, and you were like, what, they talk over the movie, that's the joke? And it seemed like it was going to be a disaster, but within a few minutes... You were laughing right along with us, and you thought it was just the greatest thing. Yeah, I have a healthy appreciation for quippy one-liners. It pulls you in. Yeah. Like if, if you have the right sense of humor for this show, it just immediately sucks you in. It draws the right kind of people. Exactly. Hence us. <laughs> Although we're the right kind of people. Yeah. And that actually transitions us fairly smoothly into um, talking about... Uh, we all know that there have been a lot of cast changes mm -hmm. in the show, uh, which was covered in our spring pageant. Yes. Um, but there's also a very noticeable shift in the production value and the style of humor mm -hmm. in the show. And Megan, you had actually commented uh, at one point about the change in production value. Oh, yeah. No, I, th I think that the best analogy for... Uh, considering the evolution of MST3K as a whole from start to the continuum that we see in Netflix now is to think of it as the layers of a cake. This is a really unique show for how long it aired for it for 11 seasons. For as long as it was on, uh, you can clearly see definition and changes as the cast evolves, as the production value um, changes ba basically out of necessity um, in the in the early stages with just Joel and the bare bones uh, KTMA beginnings you know the the film quality it's it's low-key it's public access yeah. TV <laughs> it's it's raw it's got bloopers and outtakes that you know they shouldn't be in there but they left them in there anyway and I'm Stuff not sure falls apart. I'm not sure if it's they left it in there because they just didn't have time to edit it properly or they just didn't care or whatever I, it doesn't I love it I love seeing those little yeah. I, I think of them as Easter eggs I think they're funny the props are rough um, yeah it's all pretty lo-fi yeah then then you start to move into the later Joel saga and the production quality goes goes up a bit like noticeably it's not it's not just one minute it's bad and the next minute it's good there's this sort of easing into it the longer you get into Joel's years so there are these clearly defined layers of film quality that you can see from the the beginning seasons of the show the very early stages of Comedy Central it's it's kind of raw and unfinished they leave outtakes in the the props aren't quite as polished as you would expect them to be then you get into the kind of the meat of 
the Joel era, and uh, you can you can kind of see where Comedy Central was picking up a bit. When it Therefore, they got Comedy yeah. Central. Therefore, they get more um, a little bit more budget. Their film quality becomes cleaner and crisper. Uh, the props get a little bit more creative, and the the quality picks up even more. Um, got time and money. Yeah, and then you get into like the the Mike the Mike episodes and then things really kind of amp up even more and that's where I think the, the part where Mike takes over is where you can kind of see the point in the show's history where their fan base has really started to balloon and they have even more of a, of a film quality because Comedy Central is giving them a budget because they're making the money, so they're getting uh, more bang for their buck, and they're able to do a little bit more and make a little bit more with it. And then you've got the part where you hit the end of Mike's period, the sci-fi, the part where they take over into the sci-fi mm -hmm. channel. And that's really, I think, the peak as far as their production value goes. And it doesn't look like the video quality isn't all grainy and gritty and kind of off looking yeah um everything production wise is kind of at its peak now you've got the netflix and everything is hd and you can tell that a lot of money went into the the set and the props and they've got a skeleton crew band and <laughs> like all of that there's there's flash it's very polished it's very pl polished and modern and but it still has the feel it still has the soul that makes it mst3k but speaking uh, to the, the video quality, one thing that I've noticed, like going back and watching earlier episodes, that I find kind of amusing is when they do the letters segment, the further back you go, the harder it is to read those letters when they put them up on yeah. screen. And uh, obviously part of that is due to just the technology of the time. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I just find it interesting, like when you get to some of the later episodes, it's crystal clear. You can read the, um, you know, the little kids' handwritten letters. And the pictures that they draw. And, yeah, and the pictures that they draw. It's adorable. Um, but it, when you go back to, like, season one, it's so, it, it's almost illegible. Um, I just, I find that interesting. Yeah, but throughout, it was still a puppet show. Very much. With Very dinky much so. miniatures. <laughs> and that, that, no matter how... Uh, slick and polished it gets it's still a puppet show as much as I hate this what? phrase it is what it is <laughs> it is what it needs to be yes otherwise that's a better way of saying it and if you tried to paint this over and redo like have the bots and the satellite of love and everything be CGI mm. then <laughs> you, you blaspheme I, I think, I think fans would revolt yeah, you might as well try to paint the Muppets over with computer-generated stuff. You know. Which I'm positive was pitched at some point. Oh, yeah. But the people involved in this show at every point you know, during its, its life know what makes the show what it is. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the things that permeates throughout the show, obviously, um, it, it's the main point of the show, is the style of humor mm -hmm. you know we can sit here and have a conversation and make jokes and 
we can watch a movie and make fun of it. Mm -hmm. But to do what MST3K does and do it well, that's a lot of work. It's commitment. That comment reminded me of one of my favorite parts of the article that we read for our um, our spring pageant. Yes. Which was Wired Magazine's uh, definitive, definitive oral, oral history. history of Mystery Science Theater 3000, uh, which will be linked in the uh, blog. There was a blip in there that I really thought was interesting that I didn't know is that Michael's, uh, or Mike's, Mike's, uh, now wife, then fiance, was also a writer for the show, and they would both be watching the same movie and writing for it at the same time, but he would do all of his work at the studio, she would do her work from their home, and so sometimes he would come in from a long day of plugging away at this terrible, horrible movie, and come in, and it would be on, and he would tell her, <laughs> no, please, no more, turn it off. <laughs> So they were, they. I think they were one of those couples that um, really put the phrase "for better, for worse" <laughs> to practice in their relationship. And what I'm curious about is if they ever accidentally wrote the same joke, because I think that would be fantastic. We have no way of knowing, but it would be. Funny. If we ever meet one of them, we that's, can ask. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So we know Joel's style of humor kind of weird, quirky, a little bit out there, kind of funky, um, sort of the everyman, you know, just, just a, a typical dude in a weird situation. Not too different from you or me. Exactly. Now, Mike, on the other hand, is, is different. He is different from you and me. Um, he, especially in the later episodes, as you pointed out, um, not too long ago, is a bit more cynical. Yeah. Well, he's just a regular guy with a different take on it. True. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That he's a little sense. more sassy. He that's is. How he, it's how they differentiated the characters. Mm -hmm. If he acted just like Joel, then who is this guy trying to be Joel? Yeah. Instead, he made his own thing with it. And I think yeah. that was for the better. And I think we should be very clear that none of us are really in the Joel or Mike camp. Yeah, there is no dichotomy here. Yeah, there, there is a strong tendency among fans to place themselves on Team Joel or Team Mike, and we don't roll like that. No. I mean, we're not saying that you can't have a a personal preference towards one or the other. I personally lean a little bit more towards the the Joel side just because I identify with and enjoy his his style of humor um, and his his rhetoric as host better um, a little bit more than Mike's but I still I still totally appreciate what Mike did with with his role as host um, having said that we also don't really feel that it's appropriate to engage in this sort of all-or-nothing dichotomy it's got to be this or that in in the fan world one to the complete exception of the other star trek versus star wars power rangers versus beetleborgs kirk versus picard and i it's like i said before i came into the show in the late mike era mm -hmm. so for years all i knew was mike 
and all I knew was the style of those last couple of seasons, and that sustained me. And then I discovered that, hey, Joel, there's, and there was a whole other swath of Mike episodes that I had never seen or heard of before. And I was immediately open to all of it because the premise of the show, the style of the show, remained consistent. It's the same from season one all the way through to the end and through today. I like Joel. I like Mike. I am a, a Jonah fan. Yes. And uh, of the new season. Jonah um, rocks. I was skeptical of Jonah at first. Uh, Joel brought him on to the Turkey Day Marathon in 2016. Mm-hmm. And that was a little uh, worrying. I, I'm not going to lie. I was, I was a little nervous about how this was going to go because it, he just didn't strike me as MST3K host material. He seemed like a fan. Like a, just a, a fan of the show, but not. it was unclear at that point as to whether he could really carry the mantle mm-hmm. that Mike and Joel had placed upon his shoulders. Can you properly judge a man, though, who's on live TV scooping bad movies out of mashed potatoes? That's a fair point. It's a fair point. Um, but it did not, did not keep me from being a yeah, little it, nervous. It was, it, was, it was kind of awkward. Yeah. But he's proven himself, all the new cast and crew. Uh, it's obvious that Joel has handpicked people who are fans and who mm-hmm. know what made the show work in the first place. So it's, it doesn't feel like a reboot quite. You know, it's just it's a natural progression of what always was. Yeah, it's just the next mm-hmm. chapter in the mm-hmm. story. Yep. MST3K is the perfect chameleon of television viewing. It, it is whatever it needs to be at the time that it finds itself in. It can change its colors at a moment's notice, but it doesn't change what it is at its, at its core. Mm-hmm. It stays consistent even though it has to make certain adjustments for its environment. And I think that is showing itself to be true now that we're about five episodes into the latest evolution of our beloved show. Yes, we are spacing it out, savoring it. Yes. And one of the ways that the show has sort of changed its stripes um, in a way is with the evolution of the Mads. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Mads are the mad scientists who perform the experiments on the hosts. Um, it originally was Dr. Clayton Forrester mm-hmm. and uh, TV's Frank. Originally it was Dr. Earhart. Or, originally it was Dr. Earhart, but I'd like to forget that, and I'm sure many others would too. I'm sure there are some Earhart I liked fans. his handling of the tongue puppets, dang it. Okay, yeah, okay, okay, that was pretty great. And if you don't know what we're talking about, your, your life is uh, incomplete. Um, trust us. So, okay, so there was Earhart and Dr. Forrester, and then there was Frank, TV's Frank, mm. um, who was amazing with Dr. Forrester. And then it was Pearl, who was Clayton Forrester's mother, and she had Bobo the gorilla, mm-hmm. the observer, uh, brain guy. Mm-hmm. So it was Pearl, Bobo, and brain guy. Um, and now we have Kinga Forrester, who is Pearl's granddaughter, Clayton's daughter. 
and TV's son of TV's Frank, Max. Patton Oswalt. Played by Patton Oswalt to perfection. And Kinga is played by Felicia Day, who also does a tremendous job. Mm-hmm. Um, she is an aspiring villain, we'll say. And again, we're only five episodes in, so maybe at the end of it she does become truly heinous, as her father was at times. But for now, she just seems to be finding her feet as a, as a villain. Yes. She, she is of our generation. Yeah. Um, so she, she's very tech-savvy, um, very concerned with ratings and how she's perceived, uh, endlessly trying to honor her family, mm-hmm. the, fa- the family legacy of the, the Mystery Science Theater 3000 experiment. And her henchman, her sidekick, is Max. And he is played by Patton Oswalt, who was a super fan of the show. I think everyone involved here. I would imagine seems to have. I like that you can see tinges of Frank in Max's. Oh, totally. Character. I I really appreciate he, that. He has a character clings to that identity. Yeah, I mean, he he refers to himself as TV's son of TV's Frank. Even though Kanga refuses to call him that. I like her self-consciousness. She doesn't... She can't handle being embarrassed by Max. <laughs> Every time he does something that she thinks somebody saw or that she thinks will make her look stupid, she's just all over just squashing. It's like, shut up! No! No! I'm fine! Well, and that's that's sort of similar to Clayton. Yeah. That, that, um, that, the, you can see the relationship developing into the idiots. It's just it's written. the same thing. It's just mm-hmm. written so well. Yeah. They're very much individuals, but they carry traits of their forefathers with mm-hmm. them. And it's, it just shows what the level of writing had to be to, to get that across, especially for a new generation. Well, yeah. You can yeah, call yeah, it a, yeah, it, it is you, a new generation. It is a new generation. We yeah, have a whole I mean, new kids, generation. Kids are watching it now. like, And I don't mean the kids these days. I'm, I mean like kid kids. Generation so, Zero. Yeah, we watched it when we were kids. Yeah. And now kids, to, because you know we're old and everything. We're <laughs> so old. Well, there is that, that generational gap. Um, and I feel like a lot of shows have a, have a difficult time bridging that gap. Um I mean, you talk about the reboots that have... There there have been a slew of them. Um, Girl Meets World. Fuller House. They're, 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 they're remaking the Power Rangers movies. They're bringing back Roseanne. Bringing back Roseanne. Um, you know, just all of these shows that are trying to recreate what they once were for, the, for a new generation and are failing miserably at doing it because they're still being written and produced for the audience that the show used to have. Mm-hmm. And I think MST, MST3K has done a great job of renewing itself for the audience that it wants to have while still staying true to the fan base that it's always had. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course, MST has always been a very fan-oriented thing. It's always been fan-powered. You know, if it hadn't been for local fans in Minnesota watching the show on public access, it wouldn't have, and responding as powerfully as they did, and 
like mobilizing the way they did, it probably wouldn't have made it past its first few episodes on KTMA. No. And it was very much because of the fan movement that MST was able to progress and to flourish and to become what it became instead of some small little curiosity on public access in the Midwest that few people have ever heard of it becomes this huge thing that's beloved worldwide at this point could you could you even classify MST3K as a quote cult phenomenon well in that it has a devoted fan base Right. Yes, it it is a cult phenomenon, but it's it's something that most people know about at least. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. That's what I mean. Like it, it's, yeah. I would I would call it mainstream. If most people know about it, does that does that change it out of? I think it that definitely category has, and moves it into like you mainstream. said a, a super devoted fan base. But yeah, I, I would I would yeah. classify it as being mainstream these days. I'm not sure if I can totally accept that, but. Well, and I, even it's if, just your desire to even be if they aren't listeners, even, even if they aren't now, they might be shooting for mainstream because they've chosen Netflix as their new platform. If they're not shooting for mainstream now, then they're going about it in a pretty let's get mainstream kind of way. Is just my two cents on it. If they're not mainstream now, I think they're trying to edge into that by putting themselves on Netflix. Listeners, sound off in the comments. We'd like to know your opinion on this issue. Is Mystery Science Theater 3000 mainstream? Or, or are we hipsters? Going back to fan involvement, I think, this, I think it's really important to acknowledge the fact that MST3K has really done itself... Um, a service by projecting at the end of every episode an alphabetized list of every single contributor to the Kickstarter that was that brought it back. And I think that's really important because it's not an uncommon thing for programs to thank groups of fans, but typically if there's money involved, they only go for the high dollar contributors. Thanks to everyone on our silver club who contributed $10,000 or more. MST3K didn't do that. Joel and everybody else put together an entire exhaustive list of every single contributor and they and they scroll it in alphabetical order at the end of every episode. We are up through the G's. So if you've made it further than us, which I, I'm assuming if you're listening to this and you're a fan of, the, of MST3K, you've probably watched the whole uh, new season and you found Tyler's name, please don't tell us which episode it is. We are anxiously awaiting I was that a backer. particular episode. I was a backer at a very low level, albeit. But, but your name will be there. And I think that speaks very much to the people responsible for the show in this iteration. That they're you know, taking care to do that. If you've listened to this and still don't know what we're talking about, uh, if you've listened to this and think that, we've, that it sounds interesting, that uh, it's something you might want to get on board with. We would like to recommend a few episodes for the newbie. I'm going to start us off easy. And that would be Space Mutiny. <laughs> Space Mutiny. Um, this is a movie set in space, um, as the name implies. 
And this is the movie where, as I was discussing earlier, some of my favorite nicknames for any character ever have come from. I'm especially partial to Slap Squat Thrust. Um, I just, I don't know, I, I always come back to that one. Uh, but when you watch the movie, you'll see why this guy is given all of these names. Mm -hmm. He's just a beast of a man. Um, and a really cool guy in person, too. Yeah. Megan, recommendations? Oh, personal favorite is part of my Christmas collection, and I didn't know it was missing until I saw it, but it's Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Oh, dear God, please <laughs> make this a part of your viewing list. Christmas staple. It's Definitely. absolutely necessary. We watch it every Christmas now. Mm -hmm. it, it is an event. The movie itself can be viewed al alone without the uh, beautiful commentary that uh, MST provides, but in all honest honesty, you're doing yourself a favor by watching the MST version. Definitely. Because then you get a lot of uh, classic quips and a Patrick Swayze Christmas. Which is phenomenal. Yes. Go I mean, wassling with that one. Yes. <laughs> it's difficult for me to narrow it down to just one, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna list a couple here. We've got The Killer Shrews yes. starring James Best of Dukes of Hazard fame. And the Creeping Terror. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, both horrendously bad movies, uh, certainly unique and memorable in the ways that they choose to uh, portray horrifying creatures, but classic episodes, and they come highly recommended. Now, once you are a fair few episodes in, <laughs> and your skin has thickened, your tolerance for bad movies has become such that you think you can handle just about anything. Manos, the hands of fate. What dun, dun, dun. a terrible, terrible movie. Never will you ever see such a god-awful motion picture be made <laughs> so palatable. It really is. Um, this is not a movie that any of us would recommend viewing in the raw. Not for the faint of heart. Uh, yeah, e even with the commentary, it is at times tough to get through but it is it is well worth it it's oh such a bad movie i mean they they do bad movies that's the whole point mm -hmm. but manos is just one of those as we've discussed it's not necessarily the worst movie they've ever done but it is definitely up there it's close and for for the movie to be as bad and the riffs to be as good i think it's a wonderful balance yeah. and a beautiful illustration of what the show is and what it does. I completely agree. It, it's, it's almost perfect. Bert Neer. I'm going to tell the master you said those mean things about his the, movie. The master would not approve. <laughs> So yeah, do not go into Manos Cold by any means. No, no, do not make it your first episode. Make You'll sure... be hooked on painkillers at that point. <laughs> yeah. Make sure your tolerance is built up. Build yourself up to that. 
So, talked about movies that have been done. Mm. Now I'm curious. What are some movies that you guys would like to see MST3K riff? One that has been on my list for a long time. Uh, well, being a devoted kaiju fan, I it may stand a reason that I would make such a suggestion, but the X from Outer Space is the wackiest, most absurd Japanese monster movie ever made. I, I will stand by that. It embodies every stereotype that people have of the genre. Jeez. I mean, it is, it is completely ridiculous and haphazard, and depending which, how you choose to take it, has an absolutely dreadful dub, which is <laughs> perfect given the nature of the movie. And it's it's a movie that I enjoy on its own simply because it's so awful that it's it's just over the top wacky and I think MST would uh, give it the proper treatment. Okay, so the X from outer space. Mm -hmm. All right, Joel, if you're listening, Make take notes. notes. I'm sure he's <laughs> he's an avid fan of Manifesto. <laughs> totally. Over. Well, first on my list is a comic book movie. Um, it was definitely not the first comic book movie ever made, but it came at a time when comic book movies were abysmal. Not that they're a whole lot better these days in some regards, um, but this this one, I think, and when I watched it at the time, I, I genuinely enjoyed it. Uh, and that movie is Spawn. Spawn, now, it wouldn't be a normal MST3K riff because Spawn is heavily R-rated. Um, but, if they were to do it, somehow, I think that there would be a lot of quotes that would end up coming from John Leguizamo's portrayal of a demonic clown um, who tortures the... the I guess you could call him a protagonist. I mean, Spawn. He's he's the anti-hero, you know, kind of um, outlaw type comic book character. And yeah, it's just it's it's a terrible movie. And I think that it would be very well served by being riffed. Megan. Okay, so my list includes. Two movies that are kind of on the opposite spectrum, but they're equally time. horrible. My first pick would have to be Troll 2. It is abysmal, and it is funny. The humor writes itself. The I will say the the puppeteering is pretty is pretty decent for the for the time period. The puppeteering is pretty decent. It's got a little bit of a a, a sick nightmarish Jim Henson esque <laughs> feel to it, but it's. <laughs> Awful, oh and I do God. so truly wish they would do it. <laughs> Tyler, give us another one. Uh, my number two pick actually comes from a filmmaker whose fingerprints are on a couple of the episodes of the new season that we have. Uh, Ib Melchior, who had a hand in both Reptilicus and... <laughs> <laughs> the Time Travelers. 
uh, his magnum opus, Angry Red Planet, which is a classic schlockfest from the 1950s about uh, an expedition to Mars. Uh, it is probably Melchior's most famous film, or infamous, and is excellent fodder for this show. I think my next pick, and this is a movie that you and I watched years ago, oh. and at, even at the time, I think we both said this needs to be on Mystery Science Theory 3000, and it's never been. Attacking Primate Monster. <laughs> Ape. <laughs> Ape. We've told you about this. Ape includes helicopters on wires, very, very visible wires, styrofoam rocks that aren't completely painted and chip away as they are thrown, a bird-flipping gorilla, a gorilla suit with holes in the armpits, and just a general terrible, terrible quality that would be perfect for MST3K. Like The, the production is Manos levels of bad, mm -hmm. but it's so bad and kind of cartoonish that it's amusing to watch on its own, but Absolutely. it would just be made that much better with the commentary. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear any, any of the three, Jonah, Joel, or Mike, take that movie on. It'd be fantastic. Mm -hmm. I have three words to describe my final pick. Sci-fi roller disco. Xanadu. Dear sweet goodness. I have the scar tissue on my brain from the time I watched Xanadu. I'll never be the same again, and in the worst possible way. And I would so dearly love for the MST crew to get their mitts on this grubby little disaster of a movie that is a cult classic. Yeah. It has yeah. a disturbing cult following. It does. That I think they need to sink their hooks into. Another one, and it's one that neither of you have ever seen. Oh. Um, but I have promised to show it to you, Tyler, many times, and we've just haven't gotten around to it. And that movie is based off of a Chinese epic called <laughs> Journey, called Journey into the West, and served as the, the 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 Chinese epic served as the inspiration for the show Dragon Ball, um, created by Akira Toriyama, and is now Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball GT and Dragon Ball Super. It evolved into Dragon Ball Super not too long ago actually and it's airing new episodes as we speak. However, when Dragon Ball was first made and it was as big of a hit as it was, someone, and I don't know who the, the creator of this schlockfest was, um, but they decided to create Dragon Ball, The Magic Begins. And it's another one that is by itself is entirely watchable. It's hilarious because it is so terrible. Um, if you've ever seen Dragon Ball or Dragon Ball Z, um, 
then you know that the characters harness their energy and shoot beams of light from their hands, beams of energy that manifest as beams of light. Um, to recreate this effect in Dragon Ball The Magic Begins, they used aerosol spray. That's it. Just mist. <laughs> that, that's, it's, it's wonderful. But again, it's just another movie that would just be pushed that little bit higher up the comedy ladder by being riffed on by MST3K. Well, my last big pick, something that we've all three seen and enjoyed together, that I would like to see get the MST treatment. Little gem from the 1970s entitled Master of the Flying Guillotine. Yes. <gasps> oh. Yeah. For those of you who do not know of this movie, it is a feverishly bizarre, <laughs> wacky, just out of its mind kung fu movie. And it, you have the protagonist, a one-armed boxer, going up against the bad guy who is a blind Manchu assassin wielding a... A flying guillotine. A, a flying guillotine. Death this, hat. This little hat that <laughs> drops down blades and chops people's heads off. And there's a treacherous Japanese guy and a, an Indian fighter who uses quote-unquote yoga as a martial arts move, which uh, I, I won't spoil anything. Just watch it for yourself. <laughs> I think this movie is prime MST material, and I would love to see them take a stab at it. And I'm sure we could go on and on. I mean, I could go on and on. Oh, yeah. With recommendations. Gap of the Trifibian Monsters, Killdozer, Thanks Snow killing. Beast. Thanks Killing. Thanks, but, but Thanks Killing thanks is an killing. intentionally bad movie. Yeah. So maybe not. Deliberately mm. raw. I think I can speak for all three of us when we say, if you haven't already, do yourself a favor and dig into this show. It is absolutely magical. Well, that pretty much wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to tune in next time where we discuss sports fandom. Yes, we look forward to uh, branching out a little bit. This time we might even have a couple of guests along. Who knows? Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Check out our blog at fanifestoblog.wordpress.com or email us at fanifestopodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Also remember that our podcasts can be found on iTunes and Google Play, where you can download the episodes and listen to them offline, or you can live stream them from SoundCloud. Push the button, Hobart. It stinks! <laughs>